welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends, if you want to grab your uh, coffees and your waters and your tea, and if you have a Bible, um, you'll want to grab that as well. I'll invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, if you would. And uh, before we jump in, I'll just say, uh, obviously last week we said goodbye to Ben, and uh, I wanted to just kind of fill you in on the plan going forward. Uh, I know some of you have, have heard uh, what, what we've got up our sleeve, but many have not. So the plan is essentially uh, to create a little worship co-op, uh, a co-op of worship leaders that will essentially get us through the summer. And so Stefan uh, will be with us throughout the summer. Uh, Melody Olson, who was here a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe months ago, uh, gal plays keys. Um, Bree, uh, who many of you uh, heard a few weeks back, she led with Ben. And then uh, I've got a couple people that I'm chatting with. So um, that's kind of the idea that those folks will help us get it through the summer and ro- in a rotating basis. And then uh, we're looking to uh, see what God does and where God leads us in the process. So I uh, would really appreciate your prayers as we um, discern and think about uh, where, where we're headed with that. So does that sound good? All right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, and we'll start in uh, verses, verse 1 of chapter 8. So I'll invite you to stand, and we'll read this passage, and we will jump right in. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond, as, uh, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. God, as we study your scriptures this morning and as we are together as a community, uh, I'm reminded that we are yours. Uh, not only I, but we, maybe even more importantly, that we are yours, that we are your church And you have called us to do and be something in and for the world. And so, Holy Spirit, we gather today um, to remind ourselves of these truths, that you are who you said you are, that you have risen from the dead, praise the Lord, that you have given and offered new life, and you you have started a new work of creation in the resurrection of Jesus. And so we want to participate in that. So as we study, um, remind us of what it means to be true to that calling and to remain faithful to that God, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. Um, Now, if you've been with us lately and you know that we are in this series on 2 Corinthians, you might have noticed that we skipped about three chapters. We went from chapter four and a half or five or wherever we were all the way to chapter eight. And that is absolutely intentional. Um, I want to, in the next couple of weeks, focus uh, very intentionally on a value that we say that we have at Awaken, which is generosity. There's, you see a bunch of words up here on my left and your right, and one of them is generosity. And so we want to stop, or we want to fast forward, just for a few, uh, a few weeks, and really focus in on this idea, and unpack this idea of what does it mean to be generous people, and what does it mean to live generous lives. Now, I recognize that uh, the moment that uh, we do this, that for many of us, uh, the idea of church and money, um, it doesn't necessarily bring up the best of feelings or maybe the best memories or the best sort of vibe, you know, um, which 
for good reason. There's, there's the whole sort of prosperity gospel, the sort of health and wealth deal with slick preachers who have awesome hairdos and $2,000 suits and tell you to buy their book. Um, thankfully, I haven't written any, so I'm not going to do that, you know. And I'm not in a suit, and my hair is terrible today. So, uh, but, but, you know, that, that's out there. That's there, if we're honest. There are the whole, there are the scandals, uh, whether they be financial or other, that the church has often been at the center of. There are, uh, there's the misuse of funds that we often hear about, where someone thinks they're giving to something, and then, in fact, it's actually used for something else. So I get it. That when we talk church and we talk money, that there's, uh, you know, it gets a little shifty quite quickly. And yet, we're going to do it anyways. I'm going to do this anyways. Because uh, I believe um, that, well, it's not that I believe, it's a fact. Jesus talks more about money than he does anything else in the Bible. Anything else in the, in the, in the, in the Gospels. Um, Jesus says that, uh, where, where our heart is, our treasure is, or where our treasure is, our heart is there also. He talks about the fact that um, where we spend our resources and our time and our energy and our talent, where we spend those things, it sheds light on our hearts and where our hearts are at. And I'm convinced that spiritual growth and discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus is largely connected to this value of generosity, this idea of generosity. And uh, Jesus himself said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And newsflash, we live in the richest country on the planet. So I think there's some work for us to do. I think, it's, I think if we're honest, we could probably spend a little bit of time here. And I hope to do it in such a way that it doesn't tap into maybe some of the negative preconceptions that we bring into a conversation like this. One being that a conversation about generosity is not just about money. I want to sort of broaden that scope a little bit and talk about what does it mean to live generous lives, which includes the resources we have, but also includes the time that we have and the talents or the passions or the things that you can do with your hands. It includes all of these things. Now, often this conversation in church comes when the church is financially in in struggle, right? We're in deep trouble and the sky is falling and the bottom's about to fall out. And so we come and we say like, hey gang, listen, if we don't get it together here, uh, we're going to have to you know, cut people off or we're going to have to downsize or we're going to have to cut programs and all that kind of stuff. Has anybody ever heard that one before? Yeah. Awaken is doing great financially. We're doing better than we ever have, which is fantastic. Um, uh, March, our income to expenses was, you guys were so un- unbelievably faithful, and so many of you are, are getting involved in, in, in our life uh, as it relates to resources that I'm so proud as your pastor. Um, this month, without today, um, our expenses have all been covered, and more, by you and your faithfulness. So Awaken is doing great. Now, I hesitate, or some people might even hesitate to say that because, you know, you'd say, well, don't, let, you know, d- don't take your foot off the gas, you know, you got momentum, keep her going. <laughs> And I know you, and I am proud to be your pastor, and I know that 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 will not be the case. And so I have no reason to not have this conversation with you and to say, well done, keep going. We're we're sort of being able to, to say, okay, now what? Like, what about the dreams and visions and hopes that we have for going forward? And it's being made possible by your faithfulness. So thank you for that, um, but I want you to know that Awaken's just fine. We're not in uh, dire straits, and that's not why we're having this conversation. We're having this conversation because this matters. And it matters a great deal to our spiritual lives and to our discipleship as people who follow Jesus. 
And I think it's an invitation, even if you don't follow Jesus. I think that this principle, even if you leave today and you say, you know what, the Jesus bit, I'm not so sure about, I think that this will still play for you as well. Because it has to do with what does it mean to be human. So, that's why we're doing this. And, and I want to, this morning, I want to set up this series, and I want to talk a little bit about why generosity, and then I want to just unpack what, what do we learn from Paul in these first four verses. So, are you ready? Okay, here we go. Um, why generosity? Um, two things I want to just start with. Number one, I would submit to you that generosity is at the heart of God. That to be generous, or, or this idea of generous generosity, is actually connected to the very essence of who God is. I begin with the conviction that humans, and especially Christians, should be generous. That generosity should be at the center of our lives. Because if we're made in the image of God then it would, it would follow that if God is generous and at the heart of who God is, that we should then be generous. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. Uh, here's just a couple of examples. In creation, Genesis 1 and 2, we find God. And gang, this is a bombshell over and against all of the other creation stories that were there in, in the time that Genesis was written. That God is at the center of creation, that God is hovering over the waters of the deep, and that out of love and out of the overflow of who God is, not out of chaos or out of anger or because the gods needed slaves to do their work. No, 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 no. Out of the overflow of God, the Trinitarian relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, comes creation. It's out of generosity. It's out of the heart of generosity of God that creation comes forth. Not out of anger, not out of some sort of bizarre, weird thing, but rather because this is who God is. He's generous. And out of the overflow of that, creation is spoken and everything that we see is here. Israel, in Genesis 12, if you scoot forward a few chapters, you find God coming to creation. Because of God's great love for creation and humanity, God asks this group of people, one in particular, Abraham, to become this nation, to become this people group through which God would bring redemption and rescue and restoration to the world. So it's because of God's great love for creation, not because God is stingy and holding anything back, but rather that God comes to creation and offers a way forward in and through Israel. We find this again when God gives the Torah or the law to Israel. A lot of us as Christians, we think kind of you know, negatively about, on the law that God gave Israel. But if you think about it from their perspective going forward, God's called Abraham, asked Israel to be a certain way in the world, to be a certain kind of people in the world, and God then gives Israel what they need to live into that. He gives them Torah, he gives them the law, so that they know this is where you stand in relation to God. This is how you know that you are uh, there, there's open communication between you and God was through Torah, through the, through the law. So God, again, generously gives what Israel needs to be who they are called to be. Uh, we see this in the prophets and the judges. Israel wanders and God sends the prophets, sends the judges back to say, hey, listen, this is who you've been called to be. This is who I've asked you to be. Generously, God gives these warnings and of course, in uh, last week we celebrated Easter and the coming of Jesus and the ultimate demonstration of God's generosity in the giving up of himself in the form of his son, in the form of Jesus. So time and time again, we see God moving towards us, giving up something for us, going the extra mile for us. God's disposition towards humanity, towards creation is one of generosity. This is just who God is. Not only that, but this is the best way to, this is the best way to be human. This is a better way to live. 
if you think about creation, I'm assuming that um, God is real and that creation is a product of God's divine command. And if that's true, then there are certain attitudes, there are certain ways of being that are in line with how God made the world, which would then mean that there are certain attitudes and beliefs and actions that would be out of sync with how God made the world. Generosity is in line, it's in sync with how God made the world. And so to live any other way is to live outside of what God has intended for creation. To be human is to be generous. Or maybe you could say it this way. The less generous you are with your life, the less fully human you are. The more you get generosity, the more you make it a part of your life, and the place from which you live, the more fully human you are becoming. Generosity is not so much activities that we participate in, but rather an assumption that we begin with that's connected to the way in which God, who God is, and the very nature of the world that we live in. So when we talk about generosity, it's less about something you do or an activity you participate in, and it's more about a place that you begin from. It's a way of understanding the world, and it's a way of understanding who God is. For so many of us, our, our view of God is less than that. It's less than generous. It's God's sort of this punitive person who's up there ready to sort of whack us when we fall out of line. That's an assumption we begin with. That's, a, that's sort of a fundamental view of God that some of us might have. And I want to suggest that actually generosity is a, a more correct or a better understanding of who God is based on what's revealed to us in Scripture and in Jesus. That, it's this, that generosity is at the heart of who God is and therefore should be at the heart of who we are, which means that it's the best possible way to live. Jesus was right when he said it's better to give than receive. It's better to be generous than to be greedy. It's fundamentally a better way to live. So before we even start talking about anything else, I think it's important that we understand kind of where we're starting from. When we say generosity, we're not talking about giving money to the church. We're talking about a place from which you live your life. Either one with open hands, recognizing that everything that you have is a gift from God, and that in fact you're entitled to nothing, that everything that you have is a gift. It's beginning there. Instead of grasping, uh, holding, protecting, hedging, right? These are two different ways of understanding the world and resources. Gang, the question is, is there enough out there or do we have to sort of get ours while we can and protect it and hedge it? Or is God actually that kind of God where there's enough for everybody, where there's an overflow and an abundance of resources in the world? Or is it something else? So I'm challenging our fundamental assumptions about who God is, what kind of God we view, what kind of God we believe exists, and then how we relate to that God. This is where we want to frame this conversation, all right? So let's look at what Paul says in chapter 8 and, and just try to draw a couple of things. A little bit of background, if you remember in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, we are midway through a conversation that Paul's having. And he, if you remember, um, the church starts in Jerusalem in the south where Jesus is, of course, uh, his life and ministry mostly exists and where he's crucified and is resurrected. And out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, flows this new, this new work that God is doing in the gospel. And Paul becomes an ambassador of that. He goes up into the north to Turkey and uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Greece, and he starts planting these churches. 
And he starts developing these leaders to be faithful to live out and, and to speak of this gospel that he's found in Jesus. So these churches are all up here in the north. And Paul is sort of going around these churches and he's, he's essentially asking for an offering to take back to Jerusalem. Something's gone down in Jerusalem, in the, in the church in Jerusalem, and things are not well. And so Paul's collecting because this church, it was the, the initial fund stream that sent Paul out. So Paul's going around to these churches and saying, listen, you've been a benefactor of, of Israel, of Jerusalem's blessing and of their generosity. So now, well, vis a little reciprocity here. So he's going around, he's asking these churches for money and, and, a, and an offering to take back to Jerusalem. Corinth, if you remember, the church that we're studying, is actually quite affluent. They're pretty well-to-do. They're well-off compared to some of the other churches in the area. Macedonia, which is one of the churches we just read about, was not. They were, they were, uh, they were impoverished. Uh, they, were, they did not have a lot of resources. And this is the conversation we sort of jump into in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. So first, look at the first verse, what Paul says there. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So maybe if you phrase it in terms of a question, what is your grace? I think it's very possible, and I don't think, uh, I think it's good, um, good biblical interpretation to say that it seems that for Paul, it's possible for someone to receive a grace or a burden from the Holy Spirit that someone else does not have. What does that mean? What do I mean by that? Um, let me see if I can illustrate this. So when we first started Awaken, uh, Easter the first year, we had did this series called One Thing, and we wanted to focus all of our attention on kind of one thing to sort of draw us together as a community. And so we started, uh, uh, the, the issue of hunger kept coming up in St. Paul. The people that I talked to, the phone calls that were returned, so on and so forth, it just kept on, I felt like we felt like the Lord, God was leading us by the Spirit to this thing of hunger. And so we started volunteering at a food patch down in Lakeville where uh, food is grown and then donated to local food shelves, uh, and which kind of grew into what we call the Lilydale Food Patch, which is right out uh, in the parking lot on the other side there, or was last year uh, and the year before. And um, Courtney, if you guys know Courtney and Kevin Hubers, Courtney was a part of their actually next door right now. Hi, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. Love you guys. So back there. Um, they, uh, Courtney was a part of our core team when we first started this church. She was our first director of our kids' community, and she kind of took it from zero to where Issa took over about a year ago. Uh, and I remember having conversations with Courtney about the food patch and about kind of hunger and this uh, thing that we were doing. And for Kevin and Courtney, it, it, it never really um, latched on. Uh, and I, I asked her if I could share the story uh, this week, and she said, absolutely, of course. And, and I want you to know, like, what I'm not saying is that Kevin and Courtney didn't care about hungry kids in St. Paul. But rather that they have a particular grace, a particular burden that is deeply rooted in who they are as a couple. Courtney has always been involved with uh, um, unwed mothers or crisis pregnancy and adoption and all of the things that go along with that. She's worked at um, New Life Family Services for uh, a long time before uh, they had um, their children. And they have always had this heart for adoption. And if you know Kevin and Courtney right now, they are in the middle of an adoption process uh, of a, a special needs baby from Asia. And what I'm seeing lived out is Kevin and Courtney's passion and their grace given by the Spirit to invest themselves in this particular thing. Now, that's not for everybody. 
but it's for them. One of the things that in talking about this, uh, they, said, they said it this way. We have a heart for the vulnerable and value long-term development in people. When opportunities like those cross our paths or we're able to seek them out, our hearts are stirred to give. This is what Paul's saying when he says, God gave Macedon- the Macedonian church a particular grace to get themselves involved in this thing, even though it was far beyond their means. And I want to suggest this morning as we begin this conversation about generosity that we zoom out and remember it's not just about money, but also it's important to remember that God, by the Spirit, leads us all. And that leading does not always look the same for me as it does for you. So you need not feel guilty that you're not adopting a child. That's Kevin and Courtney's passion. That's their grace, I believe, given to them by the Spirit. I don't feel guilty. I celebrate that with them and and we support them as a community. I don't feel bad at all because God's given me different graces, given me different passions, different burdens for something. So so often when we talk about this in church, people are made to feel guilty because, well, you know, I should probably be doing that. No, 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 no. Stricken that from the record. That's not at all the spirit of this. That's not what Paul's saying. The Spirit leads each of us. We have individual relationships with God. That's beautiful and that's special. And we're individually led. And my leading does not necessarily have to look like your leading. And your leading doesn't have to look like my leading. Now, having said that, let me say this. What is important to note here is that God calls all of us to be generous. No person who follows Jesus, and I would submit no human, is exempt from living a generous life. The question you must consider and ask yourself is what is that going to look like and how do I live it out? Nobody's off the hook. God calls all of us to live this way, but the leadings of the Spirit may look different in each of our lives. And as a community, we want to celebrate those things and help bring those things to life. This is what I hope and pray happens in our life groups where you're with people who know you and know the passions of your heart and can fan the flames of what God's doing in your life. So it's important to know that, that, what, that these graces or these burdens are led by the Spirit and given to each of us. And it may look different for one person than it does for another. Now look at verse 2. Paul says this, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Does that trip anybody out? I mean, that, that sentence makes no sense at all. Out of their joy and their poverty welled up generosity. How's that possible? I mean, joy's a good thing, but poverty, when do you ever connect poverty with generosity? But that's what happens. This is not dependent upon money. I'll say this again and again and again in this series. It is not dependent on money. I went to Mexico when I was in a youth group as a kid. And uh, I met this guy, this pastor who was down there. His name was Miguel. And he was the pastor of the small little church that we worked with in Tijuana. And uh, this, was, this was actually the first time I ever preached in my entire life as a high school student in like maybe my junior year of high school went down there. The first sermon I ever gave was in Mexico. I figure, you know, if the people can't understand you, it doesn't really matter what you say. You know, it's kind of a pretty low-risk situation, right? So for whatever reason, this guy, Miguel, he kind of like, he, he and I had this sort of special relationship that, that uh, this bond that uh, happened over the course of this week that we were there. And he kind of had this like glint in his eye as he looked at me. And, and, you know, 
I don't know if he saw himself back when he was my age or, or what, but we just developed this friendship. And the day that I left, Miguel always wore this side. Do you guys remember like members only? Do you remember those shirts or those jackets? Yeah, yeah, okay, members only, right? It was a gray leather members jacket, <laughs> members only jacket. And he wore this thing all the time. The day that we left, Miguel came to me and he took off his coat and he put it on me and he said, my gift to you. And he gave me his jacket. Members owe me, gang. I mean, you know what I'm saying? What's up? Look out. It was, the, I mean, it was, it was fashion suicide, this jacket. But it was a gift. It was it was generosity that welled up out of poverty because it had nothing to do with money. It had to do with this guy's heart. One of the most generous people I ever met in my entire life was a guy named Gerald. He lived in uh, Humboldt Park, Chicago, very, very rough neighborhood. We went there on another uh, kind of mission trip when I was in high school. And Gerald, he wore the same pair of tennis shoes, the same pair of shorts, and the same T-shirt every time I saw him. It was like he never changed. He lived, in one of the, he, he lived in one of the most run-down parts of all Chicago. And if you met this guy, you'd swear on everything that it was actually Jesus looking at you. I mean, this guy just beamed with the love of God. He just exuded. It just like poured out of him. It welled up inside of him. And all that you could do was receive this generous heart. It has nothing to do with money. Nothing. Generosity has everything to do with what goes on right here. Look at verse 3, what Paul says in verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. I would say it this way. It has to come from you and your desire. And we're talking about generosity, and I'm inviting you to consider that this is a better way to live and to start maybe even realigning your life in some ways to be able to be generous. But it's got to come from you and your desire. I could cajole you. I could guilt you, which would be par for the course in church. I could sort of manipulate you and we could sort of, you know, play really emotional movie clips and have all these kinds of things and just like, you know, get your heartstrings and then just whammo, you know, slam you with the message. And you'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, convicted by the spirit. (laughs) I am not going to do that because you guys would run me out of town But more importantly, that has no power. It will not last. Guilt guilt is a terrible motivator for long-lasting effect and change in people's life. It might get people to do something today, but it won't get you to do something five weeks from now because you'll forget. I'll forget. I'll just say it for for me. I won't make you feel bad. It's got to come from you, and it's got to be your passion and your desire and come from the overflow of what God's doing in you. Gang, there's no power here. Where there's power is when this, at this nexus of what the Spirit of God is at work in your life doing and your response to saying yes to following that lead. That's where resurrection power lives. That's where, power, um, that's where generosity power is actually located. When the Spirit of God is doing something in your life and you say yes to that, now that has power. That can last. That can transform. That can change. Otherwise, it's just sort of manipulating people's behavioral habits. And I'm not interested in that. 
It's got to come from you. I remember one of the, I learned this lesson actually with Ben uh, Rosenbush. Um, there are a couple of moments in the, in the Awakens history um, where, where <laughs> there was one Easter where I had this brilliant idea to play this one song, like coming out of the Easter message and everything. It was a train wreck, total train wreck. I mean, it was a disaster. And I learned that when I sort of brought an idea to Ben and I was like, this is the best idea ever. We should do this. And he was kind of like, oh yeah, okay. And he like tried to muster up excitement for the idea and kind of tried to make it his own. It fell flat all the time. I mean, some of the, some of the biggest train wrecks at Awaken were me like bringing an idea to Ben and sort of like trying to make it his idea. And he just never lived in it. But dude, when he had an idea and it was born in his spirit and it came out of that, it was like you couldn't stop it. You couldn't get in the way of it. And, it, and they always had those sort of transformative, beautiful, powerful, effective kinds of moments. And they came from, because they were his. I would submit similarly, with generosity, with, when we're talking about this and we're having a conversation about this, it's got to come from you. And so what I'm hoping to do is come alongside of the Spirit's work as we kind of walk this out and we live in this series of generosity in the next couple of weeks. I don't want to push you. I don't want to cajole you. I don't want to manipulate you. I want to support what the Spirit of God is doing in you. So I would only ask that you'd be open to what the Spirit might do. Lastly, I would say it this way. It's a gift. Look at what Paul says in verse 4. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Can you imagine a church coming and saying, do not let, like, don't pass us up. If you don't give us the opportunity to give, like, we're going to be all busted up. This is the spirit of what they're saying. They pleaded with Paul, don't pass us by. You might not think that there's much here that we have to give, but there is, and we want to participate in it. Why? Because they recognize something that I think we miss. The possibility of partnering with the God of creation in the ongoing work of restoration and rescue, it's a gift. God does not need you. God does not want your money. He doesn't need your talent. He doesn't need your passion. He doesn't need your excitement. He doesn't need your ability. He doesn't need any of that. But he asks for it. My wife, she loves to make cookies. And, uh, you know, every now and again, you walk around the corner and you smell, you know, you hear the, the, the KitchenAid mixer, which I guess is, those are pretty cool, KitchenAid mixers. She got one of those, was like so excited. The KitchenAid mixer's going, and you walk around the corner, and there's like flour flying everywhere. My wife has options here, right? We have three children. They're not all that great in the kitchen. <laughs> They're not. I'll be honest with you. It's more work to cook with them. It's messier. They do things very unorthodox, in very unorthodox fashions. They do things that are completely and totally illogical. I mean, just like so far from logic. There's eggs that get dropped all over the place. You know, the flour gets in the windowsills. It's just, a, it's a mess. And Laura, you know, she's got choices here. She doesn't need their help. In fact, it would be easier for her to make the cookies that she wanted without them. But the heart of a mother, the heart of my wife, says, sweetie, do you want to help me make cookies? Not because she needs it. 
Not because it's easier for her, but because she wants their attention. She wants their time. She wants their energy. She wants their passion. She wants anything that they have to give. She'll take it and put it in those cookies. Sometimes they're terrible. (laughs) But that's not the point. And I, I just love that picture of God. Like a mother who says to her kids, come in the kitchen. I don't need your help, but I want your help. I want your hands in the dough. I want you cracking eggs and putting shells in the cookies. Why? Because that's what this is about. It's about us in relationship with each other and spending time together. It's a gift, gang. Your ability to participate with God in the ongoing work of redemption, it's a gift. That's what they got. Don't pass us up. They urged, they pleaded, don't let us miss this because they got that. And so I want to encourage you as we begin this journey and, and sort of discover and explore what does it mean to be generous? I want to encourage you to think about it as a gift, that this is a gift that God gives us. God lets us participate, not because we have something to offer or because my idea is so great or because my talent is like through the roof. No, because God wants me. God wants you. God could do it a hundred different ways, but chose to say this, the church, these people, flawed and broken and imperfect. I want them. He says, give me what you've got and let's see what we can do. And so I want to just encourage you as we start this series to, to maybe if you would, just have this posture of God, whatever, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to teach me on this, whatever, whatever steps you want me to take, whatever faith exor- you want me to exercise, I'm open. Help me to see it how you see it. Can you imagine a world where people who did not know this Jesus that we follow said of the church, man, I don't get those people, but they are unbelievably generous with their lives. Can you imagine that? I think that would be an incredible testimony to the gospel and the heart of God. So may it be true of you, may it be true of this community in increasing degrees that we would be generous with what we have and that God would be manifest in the world because of your lives and our lives as a church. Amen? Amen. Grace and peace. Love you guys. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.